Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Amen. And, and thank you for that word of encouragement and blessing. Um, it's a particularly um, appropriate um, encouragement and blessing because we're in James chapter 1, and James is going to have some pretty strong words of encouragement towards what um, Christian faithfulness actually looks like, what is uh, true and faultless religion, as James puts it. And we're going to actually be focusing in on those words, so I want to, to invite you to open up your Bibles to James chapter 1. You can find that in, I think, around page 1,880, maybe 81 by this point. Uh, we've been hanging out in James chapter 1. This is our third Sunday in it, um, but we're going to be specifically looking at verse 27 uh, because this is where James is building up towards. If we want to do a structural analysis of James, chapter 1 is an introduction, and it reaches its peak of the argument here in verse 27, and then he spends the rest of the book, the next four chapters, unpacking verse 27, or at least that's how it's been presented for me. So today, uh, we're going to be looking at that. Um, we're also going to be looking at a particular story of, of someone who has tried to live in the midst uh, of these uh, commands, live in faithfulness, and we're going to kind of dwell in that story to see how does this um, challenge us in our living? How does this maybe show us what it means to live in the midst of brokenness and depend on God's faithfulness? And one more thing I want to say before opening God's Word here is just an encouragement to remember James's audience. James is speaking to Christians who have been already introduced to Jesus. They're looking at what does it mean to live this faith well? And he's giving an extra push so if you're a new Christian here or you're visiting, it's your first time, I just want to give the encouragement to allow James's words again to inspire wonder. What is this gospel that invites us into such a changed life? Uh, for those of us that are older in our faith, I want us to look at these words and consider these as encouragement. And maybe if we look at ourselves and we feel a little guilty um, that we give ourselves grace if we don't live into everything perfectly, uh, but also recognize that giving ourselves grace um, doesn't let ourselves off the hook in just completely neglecting James's words. We need to take these words seriously. With that, let's open with James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in the mirror and then after 
looking at themselves. They go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Josephine Butler, who grew up in England in the 1800s, might be one of the most important, somewhat recent figures that you've never heard of. At least until recently, I had not heard of her. But in her own time, she was someone who helped start a global movement towards women's rights. She had, was deeply rooted in prayer and Christian conviction, and it was from this it helped her to do things like raise the age of consent from 13 to 16. Um, she helped change some laws that were discriminatory. Uh, but perhaps the largest impact that she had was in her um, assistance in forming communities of prayer. These communities that were formed in prayer ended up being catalysts for what would turn into a global movement in the years following her life. But like any good and kind of true story of change, change doesn't happen first at the global scale. It, it starts in the particular. It starts in the personal. With a young woman striving to see what justice looked like in her own backyard, kind of where she lived in her city. Uh, so to set up her story, I want to just take one example from her life. This came from a time where she moved into a new city and she noted as she was walking along that there was these dark and gloomy kind of workhouses full of hundreds of women. These women were there for, for varied reasons. Um, a lot of them were just in, this was the last resort, the last place, subject to really hard labor there. This labor didn't really provide enough money for them, so many of them were also um, forced to the streets. In the midst of this, she didn't want to just walk by, but she went into these places. And she went in not to just observe or to gawk, but to spend time with them, to befriend them, to get to know them. Uh, one of her trips, she came across a, a young girl named Mary Lomax. Uh, Mary Lomax, just to give a bit of a background of her story, at 15, she was thrown out of her workplace because her boss had abused her and she became pregnant. Her family felt her pregnant to be a disgrace, so she was thrown out of her family home. Uh, she turned to a brothel for survival, but then after coming down with a consumptive cough, she got thrown out of the brothel as well. So she had been thrown out of all the places. The only place that she could be is in one of these workhouses. And in that context, Josephine Butler finds her, she sees her, 
She has compassion on her, and she invites her into her home. And not only into her home, not into the servants' quarters or anything like that, but into where the family was staying. And she lived with Mary for six months. This was the beginning of what ended up being called um, Houses of Rest, where she ended up setting up uh, many different houses of rest, places where women could recover from their varied traumas. Mary Lomax is important because she serves as the first of the examples, uh, but she also is important because she's a name and she's a face behind what can so easily just become a set of numbers and statistics. The hundreds of people in these dark, gloomy workhouses need to have a particular, to have someone attached to it. This is the same thing for big, broad categories like what we found in our passage. The orphan and the widow, sometimes these categories can be too big, too ambiguous for us to see how they impact the personal. While Butler is caring for these women and building these relationships, she's also making quite a name for herself in high society. Uh, she's um, a, a leader of a school of sorts. Um, she's also just recently published a book at this time that was making headways in all the right circles. So she was showing herself to be a, a person of influence and a person of power. But then, in the midst of this, the government passes a law called uh, the Contagious Diseases Act, and without going into the details of what the Contagious Diseases Act was, um, essentially the um, military personnel that turned to the brothels um, were given, okay, let's, let's go into this. It can be summarized as an act that was meant to protect the military personnel and their use of the brothels by targeting the women and kind of enforcing restrictions around them while bringing no reform whatsoever to the military itself. Um, this is kind of a, a, a double-sided thing where it, it wasn't equally looked at here. And when Butler sees this, she doesn't just see this as a vague injustice, but she sees it as an amplification of the injustices that she's already seen. She saw how it had affected real people with names that she knew. She had built relationships with these people, had prayed with them, wept with them, and housed them. So in response to this law, she commits herself in a coalition to fight against it. Uh, she starts with a group of 14 women to dedicate their time for change. Um, and I, I like how her biographer, uh, Sarah Williams, puts it. When people saw her divert her attention to this, they would ask, what on earth is the talented Mrs. Butler doing, wasting her life with people who have wasted theirs? Even amongst people that were pushing for reform, the, the things that she was doing was a little too radical. She had all this talent. Why was she wasting it with people of such obscurity? You, you need to leverage your power. But instead, she had been spending her time with the outcasts. James writes, Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is something that James is going to unpack for the next four chapters. 
it can be divided into two statements, just to simplify this here. Faultless religion, as he describes it, involves care for the vulnerable, and it refuses to be polluted by the world. Um, Calvin, 500 years ago, commenting on this, was quick to point out that James does not just generally define what religion is here, but he's reminding us that religion without these things is nothing. This isn't all you need for religion. It's not a comprehensive list, but these are two things that require special attention for the Christian community, especially for those who have been walking along their faith for many years. They need these reminders. Remember who James is. James here, the brother of Jesus. James, the leader of the church of Jerusalem. James, the pillar of the early church, or as James preferred to call himself, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he urges his readers, his listeners, to pay attention to. And he starts with this, caring for the vulnerable. It's, it's a strong and stark kind of statement that he makes in verse 27, but it shouldn't surprise us that this is something that he requires because if we know how the Hebrew Scriptures talk about God and how God's people are to act, we can anticipate that this is something that will continue to be of importance. Um, there's lots of different examples we could turn to, but we'll just look at Psalm 68, verse 5 where speaking about God, it says, Rejoice before Him, His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. These are characteristics of God as He is praised. When James tells people to behave a certain way, we need to look at it in terms of imitation of God. God is the one who cares for the orphan. God is the one who cares for the widow. Therefore, we are meant to do likewise. In referencing the widow and the orphan, James is appealing to the vulnerable at large. He is using this not just to, to isolate and have two specific groups that we only need to focus on, but he's using this as a catch-all phrase for those who are vulnerable. Uh, to put it in more complex terms, in, in, in a disenfranchised, or to the, the people who are disenfranchised in a patriarchal society, by listing the widow and the orphan, James is extending this to all people who are dealing with pains in a society where they are found without voice. Or, or to simplify, it's the haves and the have-nots. Are, are, are we paying attention to those who are the have-nots in our society, the people who are hurting? Uh, th this command for care is one that is also a command that, that might make us a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe these relationships that they're calling us towards could make us uncomfortable if we were to pursue them. And I think that's one of the first things I, I want to note here, uh, to change the word a little bit, that, that it could involve something a little impractical. It's kind of ironic. Uh, James, in being so practical, is calling us to do something perhaps a little impractical in our own lives, to have interruptions in our own goals. Uh, Josephine Butler can attest to that. 
It wasn't easy giving up the trajectory of something that she had wanted, this, this power, this prestige. It wasn't easy to find herself called to a place where she was open to the hurts of the world. It wasn't easy to bring in Mary Lomax into her home. It was impractical and challenging, but also enriching and transformative. Living into how we are to to be uh, transformed by the gospel, it opened her eyes to the systems in place that were causing hurt. Uh, For ourselves, just to consider for a moment, what sorts of impractical places might we be invited into? Places where we can be invited into transformation and renewal. Where might we set aside our own targets and life goals to build relationships amongst the have-nots in our society? Who are the people that we must be attentive to, the people that takes an extra moment and extra listening to even see? In Josephine Butler's case, many people would walk by these workhouses each day without wanting to know what's inside. What uncomfortable realities might we uncover if we were to care for the widow and the orphan in the same way? It's been said that any culture's virtue is its treatment of the weakest and most vulnerable persons. Um, Josephine Butler would say, uh, you can tell a lot about a culture and its view about God by how it treats its weakest members. How does our society stand to that test? How does our culture stand to that test? And how are we living in response to that? How are we living as people attentive and showing love and care to the weakest of members? The wise person, oh, uh, this encouragement once again is to take James seriously in his call for action. Whether it's the literal widow and orphan, or in more general terms, the have-nots, we can think of these broad terms, the refugee, the addict, the child in foster care, the elder, elderly in care homes. In seeing needs, we are called into action. And as James succinctly puts it in his letter, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Something important in that piece there of deception, self-deception. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're something we're not if we just simply listen and do not take that into action. Now, that's really strong language, so I think it's helpful at this point to remind ourselves who James sounds like. Because James sounds a lot like Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, at the very end of his famous Sermon on the Mount, finishes with these words, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The wise person is the person who puts things into practice. It's, it's one thing just to hear Jesus' words. It's another thing to actually act on it, to actually go out and be a light to the world. James refuses to water Jesus down. He refuses to say, 
well, that's really hard. Uh, maybe this is what Jesus meant to say. He repeats it. He says, don't deceive yourselves by listening to these words and then patting yourselves on the back for thinking about doing something. Go out and live as people transformed by the gospel. Next, he goes on to say that true and faultless religion refuses to be polluted by the world. Now, being polluted by the world means something very specific in James. When James speaks of the world, he means the world as independent or anything trying to function independent from the true God. We ought to remember the context of James's wisdom literature, and wisdom, for those of us who have been here for the last couple of weeks, we've kind of heard the different definitions for what wisdom is, but wisdom in its essence is acting in accordance to God's rule as God intended. So the world, for James, is short form for saying the forces that move us away from living into how we are to follow God the forces that divide us. If the goal is the undivided life, one of wholeness, where, where thought and action are working into unity, then the, wor the world is something that is what pushes against it. It, was, it divides us to those who just profess to follow God, yet look nothing like Him in our behavior. Now, to see where James actually takes this and what this actually looks like, we can see James expanding it as we get into chapter 2. His first example is to not show favoritism. Being polluted by the world means showing favoritism to the wealthy, to, to the rich, and ignoring the poor and the vulnerable. More important, I think, than what it is um, to be polluted by the world is how we are to prevent ourselves from being polluted. We get a glimpse of this earlier in James's passage, what we read earlier today. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. In this passage, um, James sounds quite a bit like Paul, actually. He's, he's using that language that we might be familiar with in baptism, uh, of putting on Christ, uh, taking off the old self, putting on the new self. We're reminded of it, we need Christ to come to save us. Only in this passage is a bit of a different context because he's not talking to a, a community that's trying to reconcile what does it mean to be uh, Jew and Gentile and what's, what does it mean to be a saved people in that context? He's talking to people who have already have this foundation of faith, and he wants to encourage them. If we want to consider it alongside baptism, this is this encouragement to look at the daily renewal of the Holy Spirit that we depend on. James reminds his reader that, readers that salvation does not stem from the things that they do. Resistance to being polluted by the world does not stem from acting in the right ways. It is to humbly accept, to humbly 
receive the word that is planted in you. With, with all of his talk about faith and needing to live this out, James still has a firm emphasis on our need for gospel truth at the center. The word needs to be planted within us. It takes the special work of God to bring us into wise living. Um, in naming the word here, things that we need to hear, we remember that the gospel is something that is spoken, something that can be heard. Well, this community is warned at stopping at that. We can't just stop with listening. There is that need to first be listeners. We need to first hear. As hearers of the word, they are formed by grace. Resistance to pollution of the world starts in being hearers, humbly submitting ourselves before God, open to God's transformative work, and nodding, not allowing ourselves to just rashly try to take things into our own hands. In naming the word here, we should be thinking to Jesus. We recall that this, all of this is founded on relationship with Christ. As maturing Christians, as people called to grow in hope together through Jesus, we are to, a we're to be a people who need these reminders continually to humbly submit ourselves before Him, depending on His nourishment. It is only from this place that we can resist the pollution of the world, and it is only from this place that we are brought into unity and into wholeness, where we can step towards the undivided life, a life that's not divided between thinking one thing and doing another. Again, um, just to turn back to the story that we were reflecting on in relation to this. A part that I left out of Josephine Butler's story is how deeply she actually was driven by prayer, and while over her lifetime she accomplished much, change did not happen overnight. Uh, we left off in her story where she devotes this time towards lobbying against the, the Contagious Diseases Act. Um, her first appeals for this were effectively ignored. Uh, it actually took 16 years before it was overturned. 16 years, it's a long time. In the midst of that time, she was kind of a, this, this lobbying against it was fairly radical and it, it involved some persecution. Um, she, this included death threats. People would throw fecal matter at her. Someone even tried to set fire to the place where she was speaking at one point. That's never happened to me. Maybe I need to get a little more edgy. She was facing this for so long and yet still had this perseverance. And after those 16 years, it was successfully overturned. And later on, she reflects on that. What does it mean to move 16 years towards one thing. You might imagine frustration being a huge part of it, or perhaps regrets, uh, misdirected attention. Why, why did I do that then? Maybe I could have leveraged my power better later. That's not how she reflects on it. In her own words, she thanks God for the time that it took because it was within that time that she developed as a person of endurance and of prayer. 
in the midst of seeing injustices, she didn't just only get angry at the injustice, but she turns this anger towards injustice into prayer before God. And that allows her to, it fuels her towards seeking justice throughout that whole time. And not only that, during that time, she was doing this with other people, and there were whole communities that were formed in prayer. When she reflects on the 16 years, here's what she says. She said, that's where the real change happened. If the appeals just worked on their first try, that would have simply been reform rather than deep cultural change. Can you see the difference there between just reforming, changing things on the surface, and this deeper cultural change that takes place when we persistently come before God in prayer? This, by the way, should have us thinking back to James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds because of the perseverance that it leads us towards. Now, I wonder what would happen if we as the church were known for this type of persistent prayer, remembering to humbly submit ourselves before the word that is planted within us. If we were formed in such a way that we would have this persistence and endurance rather than just turning in anger at the injustices around us, if we could turn that into prayer before God, allowing that to fuel us in our responses to the injustices that we see. When we offer these things before God, we, we're invited to allow it to transform us to renew our imaginations and our minds, that we can turn this into movement within us and into the world. Uh, so to finish, just an invitation here. Just imagine pushing for 16 years towards something, or 10 years, whatever it is. What journeys might you be invited into? Which ones are you perhaps already on? And, and how might you be cultivating practices of listening and humbly submitting before God so that you are sustained in whatever lies ahead, that what you are moving towards isn't simply reform, but a deeper cultural change beginning in your own lives, in your own hearts. As we reflect on this, um, I invite the ushers to go and... Um, Invite the children back into our sanctuary, and as they go, uh, let's turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for your servant James, who speaks a message so consistently with what Jesus spoke on earth. May we be people rooted in your word and your truth, enable us to humbly set ourselves before your word, that we may resist the ways that our surrounding culture pushes at our desires and divides us. Help us to resist the desires that come from within us, that drive us towards selfishness or self-preservation rather than the giving of ourselves. 
May our time before Jesus form us more and more into the likeness of the one who showed what it is to sacrifice on behalf of the other person. Give us courage to see the orphan and the widow of our own day, to see who it is that we are meant to listen to, to care for, to visit, to build relationships with. Thank you for the ways in which that is being lived out and the way in which we are already being a blessing in this community and continue to challenge us in moving forward. We thank you for examples throughout Christian history that can show us the way towards perseverance, giving us context and also reminding us of the need to come before you in strength with renewed imagination to see how you are calling us to bring reconciliation through your work in us into the world. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.